Hello and welcome to CigarCast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman. I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. You know, this week, we're not going to fall down another rabbit hole. Last week was a little interesting. We, we, can, we, we both got a bit more impassioned and meandering than I expected. Well, you know, when we talk about the segments before the show, we always say, okay, we think this segment, this is good for 10 minutes worth of content. This is what we'll, we'll, let's keep it at that. And we thought Cigar Cinema would just be a few minutes, but we kind of really got deep down and really fell into the rabbit hole. So much so to talk about our cigars. <laughs> um, so much so we're recording two this night because when y'all hear this, I'll still be on a cruise boat somewhere in the Caribbean. Right. And... We still have half of both of our cigars from the first show in our hands. So we both put our cigars down and proceeded to duel. So tonight I will be smoking the Undercrown Dogma once again, the, the second half of the Undercrown Dogma, Dogma Part 2. Again, Mexican San Andreas wrapper, Connecticut stock cut Habano binder, filler leaves from Nicaragua and Brazil. And I gotta say, I'm really loving this move. This, I hate that I had to stop the show and yell at you and ruin part of this cigar. So I'm going to try to finish it because I couldn't bear to set it well, down and have to relight. Well, now that you're halfway through, uh, what do you think of it? I mean, very, in terms of what you're getting out of it. I know you just said you're loving it, but... Very rich, very full, but not as strong as a Liga. That's what I like. I like that it is a little softer than the Liga. I don't know if it's the shape, if it's the draw. I don't know what's going on, but it's not as strong as a Liga, but it has that good Liga complex flavor. You may need more fire to light that cigar. But just, a, yeah, and we, and we both have to relight our cigars now because, again, we got busy yelling at each other during the last show. But really, really complex yet not strong. It's less strength than what I actually thought the cigar would be, but I'm really loving it. I yeah. mean, I'm really feeling I'm. I'm feeling a high score at the end of the show coming on for this cigar. And I've got to say, this Leaper's Ford Distillery cigar is actually surprising me quite a bit. This is the blue label from Leaper's Ford Distillery in Leaper's Ford, Tennessee. It's the only way you can get it, so sorry. Uh, it was a gift from one of our listeners, which I am very, very thankful for, because typically when I see cigars like this, I don't give them much thought. This is actually very good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm expecting a pretty high score as well. It's not doing great off the relight. I've got a little bit of a split in the wrapper, which sure. you can't see because it's so dark. But um, but the flavor is really good. It's sort of, I, I'm, I'm guessing Dominican, just because of the way it's hitting my palate. I don't know that for certain, but those are the kind of flavors I'm getting as well. So real quick to wrap up Cigar Cinema, I do have to bring it back up. When you see cigars in movies, do you ever feel they're represented properly? Do you ever feel like that they really understand what they're doing with representing cigars in movies and TV shows? Um, so we've talked about this on the show before and how much I detest The Dark Knight because they have the mayor sitting behind his desk with a cigar and the cutter and he never actually does anything with it. Um, but it is funny you bring that up because something happened just this week. Uh my fiance and I are watching The Newsroom, uh, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. I, I just think it was so brilliantly done. Ran on HBO so they could get away with a little bit more, but they still did it in a tasteful way. Um, coming up on the, we're watching the end of season two, and uh, there's a celebration in the newsroom. It's election night, so in the newsroom, that's like Super Bowl, right? And so they're all celebrating and they're pouring champagne and they're smoking cigars in the newsroom. And they don't really show the cigars, give it, you know, it's not a character, right? But you just see it in passing. And the first shot of somebody smoking a cigar is just someone holding it in their hand like that, bring it up to their mouth. And I immediately turned to Noel and I said, that's a Fuente. And then in the next, because their band is unmistakable. And in the next shot, there's another maybe half a second where you can see that, that green satin footband. I said, that's a Fuente Double Chateau. They are smoking. And picked it out like that. It's my superpower. I can, <laughs> I can always tell what someone's smoking in a movie. Well, you know, they usually jerk the bands off of them or do something silly like that. So I'm, I, don't, never... I don't find that they do. Um, I was able to identify the cigar that Winston Churchill was smoking in Darkest Hour. 
I don't remember at this point what it was, but I was able to identify that one too. Darkest hour could corner cover where we're sitting right now. Yeah, good. But okay, enough complaining about the cigar shop and cigars representation in movies. Let's talk about something fun. This is really fun. This is from the Virginian Pilot. Uh, this is uh, kind of a first and probably only of its kind trolley cigar bar. Um, so it's going to be in downtown Norfolk, which is kind of right on the border between uh, Virginia and North Carolina by Virginia Beach. Um, I think this is really cool. I like the idea of giving new life to an old piece of machinery. So Michael Vescione, owner of Primo Cigars and Coffee, bought a decommissioned cherry red trolley car this spring. And he put it down in the parking lot outside of his Southern Eats restaurant, 435 Monticello Avenue, for those of you following at home. And it's been parked there, and he's been reconditioning it to be a cigar lounge. And I think that I, I do... I do have my trolley cars. How big are trolley cars? Are they big enough to put a cigar lounge in? They're about the size of a small bus. I mean, could we but all... they're more efficient. Could so. we all sit together and watch Roadhouse in a trolley car? Yeah, we could. Okay. Wouldn't, so, we, wouldn't it be... Anyway. A temperature-controlled, ventilated space. And I, I do like the idea. I really feel like this is something cool that he's doing. There's only... I mean... I, I hate that the only pictures in this article are from the outside, and it doesn't. But it does say he's doing wood trim, high back leather seats, and tables. So he's, you know, he's he's doing it right, trying to get that that perfect cigar shop feel. I do want to complain about the article a little bit because this the the opening sentence. This fall, downtown Norfolk will be home to something that might not exist anywhere else in the country: a cigar bar inside a trolley car. Okay, just because you're the first to have an idea or just because you do something incredibly unique doesn't mean you have the only... Yeah, somebody opens the only treehouse restaurant and massage parlor in the world and someone opens the only Airbnb in a submarine that is also a nail salon. Like, if you get weird enough, you can be the only thing of its kind... (laughs) Just being the only thing of its kind doesn't necessarily make it anything special. You're never going to make it on Shark Tank. <laughs> You're out. I'll tell you, they're throwing you out on your ear right off the bat. But, and I do like his... Just saying two combined, two unique things combined does not necessarily make a unique thing. True. But I do like his reasoning. His reasoning was to have an indoor smoking area, you have to have a separate ventilation system completely standalone in a separate room from your main room. His first proposal was to drop a storage container in the parking lot that guys could smoke in. I'm sure the zoning commission would have loved that. Well, and I think this I think this is part of it is it's it's kind of a middle finger to the zoning commission which I'm always in favor of, but I I enjoy this. I enjoy the thought process of it. I enjoy the ideal behind it. I I really do enjoy that. And moving from one piece of legislative idiocy making it where we have to all buy trolley cars to be able to smoke cigars in public anymore. Let's move on to the big PCA news this week. All right. Uh, this is from Aficionado. Uh, the PCA has launched a campaign to oppose cigar tax increases, and I don't think there's anybody in the industry who would disagree with this. So, but if you read the article a little deeper, the first line, you don't even have to go deep, to help curtail the national vaping epidemic. Youth vaping epidemic. Youth va- so so who, who has been pounding the drums of how bad vaping is right. from day one over here? Nobody, has, nobody more than this podcaster has screamed about the wrongness of vaping and the fact that it right. makes nicotine addiction palatable to children. And now you see all of these horrible news articles of these kids that have vaped hard and really damaged their lungs irreparably. Who's the... But they they realize, like always, vaping's an empty bag. It's five hippies in a garage with a bucket of powder. And now they decide to bring premium cigars into it. Is this, the, is this history repeating itself? A little bit. I want to point out something in the article as well. Currently, the tax rate levied on most premium cigars is 52.75%. Half, over yeah. half, of what you're paying per cigar is tax. That is idiocy. 
and this is going to raise that even further, but it's not going to be a percent anymore. It's going to be based on weight. So it's, you know, basically $50 per pound and, you know, proportionate tax at the like rate on all fractional parts, blah, 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 but not less than 10.066 cents per cigar. So Representative Tom Suozzi, a Democrat from Long Island, has introduced legislation that would increase the tax on premium cigars called Quell Underage Inhaling of Toxic Substance, QUITS. This is an acronym that was thought up before the words that made it up. Way before. And the current tax, it means this is all stupidity. Why are they assaulting our cigars when the problem is vaping? Right. I mean, why, you know, it's like, okay... We have way too many moose attacks in Alaska. Let's shoot all the bald eagles. Yeah. I mean, is that not what we're doing here? Well, especially since you know, your problem with your problem with vaping is the nicotine because it's addictive and because it's not, especially when you look at vaping, it's not really nicotine. It's nicotine tied to this and modified to that. And it's not, t- nicotine and tobacco are not the same thing. If you've got a problem with one, you don't necessarily have a problem with the other and vice versa. Dr. Drew puts it really, really well. But Yeah, nicotine is no more dangerous than caffeine. It's the delivery there, method. There is, I'm glad you brought that up. There is an ad that runs on the radio in L.A. on K-Rock that I listen to. And all there are these PSAs that go out about youth vaping and, and about all the harmful effects of... Uh, and, and I tried to go to the uh, of vaping, of youth vaping. And I tried to go to the website that they talk about, and it, it didn't exist. But I want to get where they got their information. It was, it was talking about how it makes learning disabilities worse, and it does all these things and increases depression. And does, like, I really want to know where they got their information on that. Well, this, this, is, this really bothers me. This really bothers me because... You can so they're going to lump cigar smokers and vaping together, right? Which is insane. Completely, like you said, that's like moose and bald eagles. Yeah, two totally different. Actually, more like rats and bald eagles. (laughs) And I'll if you you really want a true comparison, a true analysis. Yeah, because in your original analogy, they were both majestic. This way, you get something that's problematic and something majestic. Yeah, and any so. Kids are not known for their ability to restrain themselves. They've never been known for that. That's part of being a kid. So when you create a product that makes addiction palatable to children, it comes with abuse. This is not. This does not take a rocket scientist to figure out. I don't understand how cigars get lumped into this. Yeah. And also, I'm I'm absolutely irate about this. This really bothers me. So there is a link. On PCA's website, they have a portal that streamlines the process for contacting your elected officials. Um, I'm not a big fan of this, but it's the only way to get it done. Yeah. I mean, I I like to treat my elected officials like the cops. I say yes or no answers, and at some point I hire a lawyer. Because I do think that's part of the problem, though. Probably is. There, there, that's pro- my, my attitude probably does not help this. I probably do not have the most nurturing attitude toward getting political change. But they do have a portal. It's on the PCA website, formerly the IPCPR. And everybody go there, send a little letter to Congress and say, hey, will you... Will Leave you my for, cigars alone. Yeah, will you for crying out loud realize there's a difference in vaping and cigars? Yeah. You know, people that watch Downton Abbey vape, people that smoke cigars watch Hot to Trot. They watch good movies. I have never once vaped, thank you very much. (laughs) So we got, in the second half of the show, we have a great interview with Nate McIntyre. Yeah, a couple of weeks ago he sat down with us for a few minutes, so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back we'll have that and more after this. Trey here. want to remind you guys that Shane threw down the gauntlet last week. We were talking about cigar cinema and uh, the best cigars to pair with the best movie. And we kind of left it up to you and said, hey, come up with your best pairing. Head over to Facebook.com slash The Cigar Cast and let us know what it is. And whoever comes up with what we determine to be the best one is going to get an ashtray. 
Sounds great. So this week we're talking about cigar and history. Cigar and history. This is really interesting. Do you know who the first people to smoke cigars were? I do not. So based on kind of archaeological findings, it looks like the Mayans in Guatemala, or what is now Guatemala, were most likely the first people to ever smoke cigars. There was a, uh, a pot from about the 10th century that depicts a Mayan puffing on a cigar. And what's really interesting about this is that uh, the tobacco was wrapped in either palm or plantain leaves. Similar to when Columbus first came to the Americas, they would usually roll it in corn husks. Right. Um, but we also believe that the reason we get the name cigars because the Mayans actually called it cigar, S-I-K-A-R. So we think that's where the name cigar comes from. Welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane, sitting across from Trey, a man so obsessed with cigars he orders hot dogs according to their ring gauge. <laughs> if I ate hot dogs, you're probably right. You don't eat you don't eat eggs, you don't eat hot dogs. What do you eat? Like lichen and kale and stuff like that? I, I, I do like kale, yes. Uh, I eat burgers. I eat I just don't like hot dogs. I don't like the pop. It's the same reason I don't like uh, cherry tomatoes. I don't like that pop. That, of the casing. It's just, no. The only sausage I really eat outside of, like, breakfast sausage is boudin. I do love boudin. Boudin is one of the best things. That, you know, uh, Ben Franklin said, beer is proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy. No, it's boudin. Boudin is great. And boudin has rice in it. That's why you it, like it so it, well. Yeah, it's got rice and liver and it just man it's good okay so coming back to cigars yeah so i had an interesting thought last night we're going to get to our interview with nate mcintyre in a second but i before, before we do I want, i've got a question for you now i know you're a man who likes his routine what makes a good routine for you so a good routine is equal parts work and pleasure I kind of, my routine, so after I walk the dog in the morning and I go three miles with the dog, I come in and I usually fix a good breakfast. Um, a couple of times a week I'll have a cigar on the back porch, depending on what the weather's like or something like that. But for me, a good routine is equal parts work and pleasure. And I think the, the knowing that you've got the pleasure coming after makes the work go a little bit easier. I, th- I would I would say there's a lot to that. Um, it, it's funny because what made me think of this was I was going to bed last night and envious. And so I want to be a little bit more specific and don't be graphic. What does right. your nightly routine look like? And I'll tell you why I'm asking. So I'll give you a second to think about it. Because so you, much like my fiance, don't wear glasses or contacts. You have perfect vision. Um, I also wear hearing aids because I'm hard of hearing. So I was thinking about this last night and getting ready to go to bed. And it's like, for people that don't have all this crap, when you get ready to go to bed, you just go to bed. I decide I'm ready to go to bed. It's 10 minutes of taking my contacts out and brushing my teeth and taking my hearing aids out and making sure I've got them in the box. And it's by the time I get ready to actually get in the bed, I'm woke up from, from the tiredness I had from all the work I had to do to get ready. You know, you're the only man in America that has this problem. Most most dudes just fall asleep on the couch and then eventually stagger into the bed bedroom and fall down on the bed yeah. and finish it up. I used to drink myself to sleep every night, and it was great because I didn't have to deal with all of this. That's so. right. You'd wake up with your hearing aids in and your contacts in, but you, right. you're still yeah. in a hangover. But... You know, my, my nightly routine's pretty pretty set. My wife always goes to bed before I do. You guys don't go to bed together? Oh, no. No, never have in 20 years. Hmm. And what we... She goes not on... Not once or just don't make a point it's of just it? Not, it's not a habit. I mean, we've, we've yeah. obviously done it a couple of times, but by and large, we don't because she goes in the bedroom and she has her time and then I have my time and, you know, we kind of culminate when we both go end up in bed. But the... Um, you know, I'm going to play, I'm on level 2,567 of Candy Crush Soda on Facebook. <laughs> Challenge me if you dare. And I usually turn on either Mom or How I Met Your Mother or Married with Children or The Simpsons. 
and watch one or two episodes of those particular shows. They're 22-minute four-camera sitcoms, by and large. Yeah. So in 22 minutes, 44 minutes winds me down. I've got my candy crush out of my system. And then I can go to bed. So it's pretty simple for me. See, I, I find on that topic, I find How I Met Your Mother. It's a great show. Watch the entire run. I've seen every episode. I find that to be a hard show to go back and rewatch. It's and that's one of the reasons I like it because I don't have to engage my brain. Yeah, you know, it, it's, there's an engagement. I don't want to watch an episode of Mayans MC, which is great this season. I don't want to watch an episode of that right before bed because I'm too engaged. I'm too enthralled. I want something familiar and easy that just kind of goes down smooth. Yeah. See, for me, that show, I, and I don't watch TV before bed uh, anymore unless Noel's out of town. And so, but for me, it's it's how it's made. And I know that'll make your eyes roll. Oh, no, I'll, that'll put me to sleep in like two oh, minutes. Yeah, two episodes of that, and I'm out. Yeah, whatever that guy's voice is that, do, that does Brooks it over. Moore. Brooks Moore. His voice, he could read the phone book and put me to sleep. Yeah, well, anybody reading the phone book except maybe Fran Drescher would put me to sleep. That's true. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I was just curious of that because, I mean, I know that whenever I go to light a cigar, to bring it back to the you know topic at hand, uh, this is a cigar podcast, you wouldn't know it lately, but yeah. yeah. There is a there's a certain routine to lighting my cigar. I I noticed um, that there's a certain way I cut and light my cigar every time. There's a certain way I hold my hands. There's a certain you know there's just there's a routine to it. And I think if I were to ever give up smoking cigars entirely, I think that would be a hard part of it. You know, we talk about they're not addicting on their own, but there are certain aspects of it that can be addicting. And it's that routine. I would miss that. See, I see it as ritual more than routine. For me, the lighting of my cigar is a ritual. It's preparing myself. I will give you that. I mean, because I I feel that way. I do think it's funny to see how everybody, because most everybody who lights, who smokes as as much as we do, tends to light their cigars the same way. There was a, my, my roommate in college was a cigarette smoker. And he was part of a secret society at Baylor. We have kind of an underground, not quite like Skull and Bones, but it was, um, it was way goofier than that. And the way I found him out was because I was at one of their events and I saw him light a cigarette and there's no one else in the world that lights a cigarette the way that guy did. And I called him out on it completely. Well, you know, and it's funny because you have to actually change. I've had to change how I light my cigar and all because I burnt the far out of my thumb lighting a cigar like two weeks ago. I was, was watching the Alabama game, and I was lighting my wife's cigar, and my thumb wandered right into a four-jet, full-open butane flame. Yeah, I, I hurt. I injure my hands every once in a while. You put a, I put a drill bit through my finger a few weeks ago, and it's amazing how something like that will change. And then even once it's healed, you're, you still find your hand goes back to that new movement, whatever. But I do love the ritual. I always do a cut. I always do a cold draw. I always get, even if it's a cigar I've smoked, even, even on an undercrown shade that I've smoked probably more of than any cigar I've ever smoked in my life, I still do a cold draw. I still check that draw. I'm just, I, I do too, but I think part of that for me is because I don't toast the foot of my cigar. I light my cigar with it in my mouth, so I'm always going to do a cold draw by virtue of the fact that that's where the cigar is when I light it. Yeah, so I do the cold draw and I move through that. So let's talk, let's see. Step away and talk to Nate. All right. You guys have fire handy? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we're here with Nate McIntyre from Miami Cigars. And I can't believe I've been wrong twice tonight. But Nate's from Miami. Nate was our rep for a very long time, and now he's moved up. Nate, tell us all about it. Uh, Yeah. Uh, Actually, several years ago, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I transitioned into the role of uh, like 16 different titles. Uh, but the Which one's your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> Grand Poobah of the Inconsequential. Um, no, I'm the marketing coordinator and also a regional sales manager uh, for MCC. I, I work with Jason and Hector and uh, the crew, the guys in Miami pretty closely, although I do stay here in Nashville. Uh, really great opportunity to be able to do that and kind of expand what I've been doing over the last several years and use more gifts and it's been a really good fit. Um, as you guys know with Adrian, you know, Adrian was a dream come true uh, in this territory. You know, he's, he's of the people here, so it was a very easy 
uh, transition. Yeah. Um, and it's it's fun. I basically now all of our uh, I do a lot of communication work with our media partners, uh, with magazines, with blogs, with uh, the reviewers out there. Uh, I also do a lot of just conceptualization. Sometimes it's like at you know one in the morning after a couple of bourbons, I come up with a eureka and start texting. Hopefully, you write it down. Yes, <laughs> yes. I always put it into text or email. Um, it's to the point now where Jason just saves all my emails unread for when we meet, and it's kind of embarrassing as how many unread emails we look at when I go through. <laughs> um, but but um, I kind of get to be one of the idea guys and, and make other, you know, one of the big things I like to do is listen to other people and, and help make their ideas uh, you know, come to fruition as much as possible. When, at, at MCC, I've said it a lot, but at Miami Cigar, we always we've met in a, we meet in a circle. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we get together and start throwing ideas around, um, you know, the the process of thinking is always one of the most beneficial uh, experiences. Uh, so getting people into a room and just chewing things out and starting with a nugget and, and just letting it grow, you know, that's that's been one of the most um, one of the most fun parts of the job. Yeah. And also work with uh, three of our sales reps, basically, geographically speaking, everything from uh, West Texas to D.C. Okay. Uh, excluding Florida, because that's its own monster. Um, but those are, the, those are the territories in which I manage as well. And I hope they're letting you keep your airline miles, because I, I keep track of you on Facebook, and you yeah. are somewhere different every week, it seems like. Yeah, I am definitely, uh, I'm definitely racking up some miles on that, which, yeah, I can, I can certainly use those. Um, Funny enough, as much as I do travel, um, I'm able. One of the things for me, and having been on the road for, gosh, eight to ten years, depending on you know if you go part, if you include the part time time, then yeah, it's been ten, ten, twelve years. Um, I'm actually at home more now. Oh, than, okay. Than I was in the past, which is always good, because um, you know when you're flying somewhere, you can get in, get it done, get out, and be efficient about it. Um, so that's always that's that was one of the big that was a big deal for me to be able to actually begin to see my kids grow up and um, and be home and my wife actually remember what I look like and you know <laughs> so it's it's a good thing um, we get a lot we get a lot done and even and you know I'm a proud workaholic like when we go down to to West Palm Beach to see our family down there like we did last week um, I'll take the car and take a day and drive down to the office and we'll just bang a lot of stuff out and get it get it done there at the office it, it's hard there's no substitute for FaceTime right. Absolutely. I so, typically all go to the office just for a, a quick work trip, probably five, six times a year. And that doesn't include, you know, stops on the way to Santiago or any other place or meetings or IPCPR and all that. So being in the position you're in now, do you end up juggling between the brick and mortar and the in- internet sales? Is that something you end up dealing with on a daily basis? Internet sales are, are for me, and I say this fortunately, um, internet sales is not something that I handle. We have, we have uh, that's with a different person in our warehouse, in our, in our office. Um, my focus in terms of, of the sales side is specifically brick and mortar. Well, when you sit down with a cigar shop owner, that's always one of the things they're talking about. Well, I could get that cigar, but they sell it on the internet, mm-hmm. and it's, it always seemed to me that, that would be hard for a for a rep to balance. Well, sure, and, and luckily in our situation, you know, there was a time when this was not the case, but um, for many years now at Miami Cigar, the cigars that we do offer online are all price protected. So, so we you that's know, a that that makes big. a big difference. Yeah, it's huge. Uh, so we now can very confidently go into a retail store and, and, you know, just be straight up. Look, you don't have to worry about that with us. It's a good, it's a good situation. Yeah. So it getting... also protects you against counterfeits as well. I've, I've mm-hmm. noticed uh, on some online platforms of people that I'm friends with and stuff like that. It seems like there's a lot, of, and I don't mean to derail the conversation, but um, it seems like counterfeit and online sales is becoming a little bit of an issue. Well, the black market, groovy blue market is very strong. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, um, that's true. Uh, but we, you know, luckily that's not something that we have to deal with on a day-to-day. Yeah. So tell us, tell us what you're excited about. What you're most excited that Miami's fixing to bring to our shops? Well, we've had a big year so far and it continues like it started back in i want to say april with the re-release of special selection 
uh, at La Aurora. The 115 Project, the 115th anniversary limited edition, was the highest rated cigar that I've ever been associated with. Got a 90. It got no rating lower than 94. Wow. Uh, and it went up to 97 in certain outlets. So that was a big, big deal for us. That's that's pedigree. Yeah. That's spectacular cigar. Yeah. Um, I mean, even Half Wheel gave it a 92. <laughs> so, so that's like 194 uh, on other rating scales. No, um, I, I can give I can give Charlie hell about that all the time. I, I love that guy. But we um, with the 115 then came out with the 115 regular, uh, the regular production that came out at IPCPR. Uh, I'm gonna I know I'm gonna forget some things. Uh, the 107 Zeppelin, which is a new size in the original line. Uh, 107 Cosecha 2007 is a Limitada that's coming out in just a couple months, uh, if not sooner. Um, or Dodge 2018, uh, the sequel to last year's release, which was very well received. Uh, the Toscano Silnovo, uh, which came out at the trade show. There will be an, some more stuff coming from Toscano. Uh, Don Lino Africa, the return of that is one thing that I am stupid excited about. Uh, just because, um, not only because it was a fan favorite cigar, uh, when I was working here before this was Crown Cigars, back when it was Stogie's and I was their first cigar manager, um, Don Lino Africa was actually the very first cigar that I ever sold to a customer. Um, so, so it, it was always, and I'd, I'd not smoked it, you know, but it was, it was great. You know, yeah. I, I was like, I sold a cigar, all right. Um, the, the Nestor, I made it. I did. <laughs> I'm in. The, uh, the Nestor Miranda Special Selection was the very first cigar that I ever bought by the box at retail price. Wow. Um, and so, the, you know, we brought out two of my, two of my sentimental favorites this year. Um, Don Lino Africa, of course, this year, we, uh, we're not going with the same factory. Uh, we are doing a slightly different presentation in that the, the design is the same. The bands and the boxes are exactly what you remember. We're even bringing back those dope ashtrays. Oh, yeah. The big ones with all the animals and everything on it. But they are being made. The, that cigar this year is being made at, at uh, Tabacalera A.J. Fernandez. Oh, okay. So that's a really exciting project. A.J. knocked it out of the park with that blend. Uh, and it's all box-pressed including the Kudu, which is the 4x40 uh, box-pressed Petite Corona. Oh, that sounds like fun. It's I'm fun. not a huge box-pressed fan, but that sounds so much fun. It's a firecracker, bro. Oh, yeah. Uh, these, these cigars have, have got some oomph to them. Um, and it does use African Cameroon in the blend as well as uh, a lot of Nicaraguan. Uh, really well-done cigar. Uh, and I know that I'm forgetting some, uh, some stuff that's upcoming. I think last time I counted, we have something like 8 to 10 either new introductions, extensions, releases, whatever this year. It's been a huge year. Uh, and, oh, oh, the new Tatiana flavors. Uh, that was one that I just remembered, the Caribbean Chill and uh, uh, Harvest Moon, uh, Mojito and Pumpkin Spice. Those were two that, that both <laughs> came out this year, uh, and they've been extremely well-received. Like, by the time the Harvest Moons were hitting store shelves, I walked into a store and the box was empty. Um, so it's, you know, all around uh, we've, we've looked at every market uh, that we serve, and, and we've worked really hard this year to address maybe their needs and entertain them a little bit. So it's a fun year from, from Miami Cigar. So the strength of cigars. Mm -hmm. Sorry, Trey. <laughs> the strength of cigars. Are you noticing, it seemed like for a while everybody was going for the strongest cigar they could make, and now it seems like we're getting to a lot more medium-bodied cigars. Are you noticing that nationally? What are, is there a trend? Is it, can it be tracked? I don't know if it can be tracked by any kind of actual scientific, leverageable metric. Uh, I can tell you that cigar smokers are getting smarter. And what I mean by that specifically is that, in my opinion, um, as social media grows up, um, as the magazines begin to open their horizons a little bit, um, I think we're beginning to see... A, an incipient maturity <laughs> in in the U.S. cigar market, yeah. where um, I think people are beginning to appreciate not only the aesthetic of a cigar, but also the nuances of cigars. And it's not just, I smoke strong, you know? I think it goes beyond that now. I, I've noticed that as well. You know, we, we talk to people in here all the time, and it's, you know, we were what would be classified as cigar nerds for a long time, and now it seems like that's your average consumer is a much more well-informed consumer than they were 12 years ago when I started smoking, well, or 14 years ago. Well, make no mistake about it. I mean, I see it every day. You still have a large number of just walk-in, walk-out customers, uh, or 
online customers that don't go to brick and mortar stores that are still like they just you know, I smoke Dominican. Right. What the hell does that mean? You know, yeah. or I smoke Nicaraguan. What does that mean? Um, but the people that come in and spend their time in cigar stores, uh, in my opinion, from what I've seen, are beginning to look, as long as they're open-minded, and there's some that aren't, uh, we're working on them. Uh, but for, You've got the rack in the basement, and you're slowly went through it. Right, right. We, we're working through the mentality. Um, and as those people are beginning to realize, you know, those people are beginning to realize that there's a lot of really good stuff out there. And, and especially, in, you know, those guys that used to be, well, I only smoke strong. Now they'll tell you my palates burn out. And a lot of times they'll come in and, look, I'm the first to tell you, like for, in, for the, in the example of Nestor Miranda Special Selection, it is now, I don't know, if, you know, for those out there that remembered the original iteration of that cigar, very good cigar, solid medium body. The new release is the exact same blend from the exact same factory, but it smokes differently. It is strong. It is. It smokes a long time. Even the coffee break, like Aaron Loomis, uh, he, he was remarking one time not too long ago about how it took two hours to smoke the coffee break, and that's a four-and-a-half-inch Robusto. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I'm finding that even in the case where, yeah, you can bring a lot of strength, but that does not necessarily mean that you have to sacrifice flavor, whereas the U.S. market, maybe four years ago, if you wanted a strong cigar, people just wanted to be punched in the teeth. And they couldn't necessarily appreciate those those secondary and tertiary notes, uh, and now they can, and that's exciting to me. That was that was something that we've talked about on the show, and that I noticed personally as well. I got to a point where I was smoking stronger and stronger for the sake of stronger, and I've recently gone back to some of the cigars that I used to smoke all the time, and yeah, the strength is still there, but I get nothing else, mm-hmm. and you know, I, I my. My palate has gone from strength Nicaraguan into more flavor forward, and and I've gone to where I was smoking, you know, 95% Nicaraguan to where I'm probably 60% Dominican now. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I think some of that is that the the market of what's available is changing, but I think all of it, uh, part of it is is just the way our palates change and develop over time as well. Well, one of the things that I find the most interesting, you know. The old fallacy of if you want strong cigars, then you have to smoke Nicaraguan cigars is is now it's never been true, but now it's being demonstrated to not be true. Right. Uh, take what Manuel did with the DNA. I was going to bring that one up. Aurora DNA. Oh yeah. Or the ADN. Um, what he did with that cigar—that's a quadruple the hero cigar—and you smoke it and you don't realize that it's strong. Now I'm I'm a weirdo in that. My my favorite size in that cigar is not the world's most favorite, most popular size. My favorite size in that cigar is the Churchill, bar none. Seven by forty-seven. It's perfection. I've not actually seen it in that size around here. It's it's they don't carry it here in that size just because. Be honest with you, sales of, of a Churchill they do not match up to Robusto Toro and Gordo, uh, uh, Grand Toro. Uh, but to me, that cigar is absolute perfection. You get halfway through it and try to stand up, you're going to feel it. <laughs> and and it's not all Dominican by any means, but it's the very heart and soul of Dominican blending style, but at the same time, super strong. Um, and, and it's not sacrificing flavor. Right. I think um, what you're beginning to witness now is that the master blenders at the factories are are also understanding, in a lot, to a large part, the palate of the American consumer is more developed and that they can now do what they've always wanted to do. Because, look, you sit down with most blenders, and you tell them you want a strong cigar, and you're going to watch the eyes roll. Let's just be honest, because they don't want to make just a strong cigar. To these maestros of tobacco, that's boring. So, you know, that's, that's easy. It's, just, it's squandering their talents. Yeah, yeah, just pack it full of Lajero, and, you know, okay. It'll, and it won't stay lit, but these idiots will have a buzz. Good job. Um, now they can actually do what they are really passionate about, and that is include flavor and complexity and nuance. When you go to La Aurora, for example, and you look at their, what they do, they do something people don't understand this unless you go. They have a tasting panel at La Aurora, and it's not just for when you blend the cigar. They, every week, the, the tasting panel gets together with an unbanded cigar of current production. And it could be anything from the 1987 Connecticut all the way to the Fernando Leon Preferido. Okay, it could be anything. And they're smoking current production with a with an actual form, 
with something like 20 different lines, and it covers everything from appearance of the wrapper to uh, the impact of the strength on the body to the aroma of the smoke to the irritation in the mouth. Each one of these gets a different line, and each one of these gets scored on current production, not just new, not just new stuff. They're constantly evaluating the nuances now of these cigars. And I think the American palate now coming to a bit more maturity where they're able to appreciate these things. Um, I think finally a lot of the cigars that, for example, in the case of La Aurora, La Aurora has never been known to make the strongest cigars on the market. But one thing that you can never say is that they've been, they've been lacking on flavor. And now... Um, Perhaps, you know, somebody that comes in that hasn't tried a cigar from La Aurora, for example, they may look at it as a new brand, but they smoke and they're like, okay, this is flavor and strength. This is really good. Mm. Uh, so to me, that's a very special opportunity because you're introducing something that's been around forever. Right. Um, but to them, it's brand new and it's mind-blowing and it's cutting edge and, and modern. So it's an interesting situation. So you mentioned the Tatiana. Mm -hmm. The number one question I get from people when we talk about flavored cigars, and I'm glad we're finally going to get to answer it, how do they flavor them? They put flavor in it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it, is it an oil? Is it a, an extract? It's, is a it? it's a natural process. I can say that. Okay. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lift the curtain completely, uh, but it, it's a natural process. Okay, because that's always the number one question. Well, how do they flavor them? Mm -hmm. Well, they put bits of grape in them. Every, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every different factory that, that creates infused cigars um, has a different methodology. Um, so I, I can say that. I'm not, I can only, and to be honest with you, um, I'm not there when they make the Tatianas. Um, but I, I do know that in our case, it's a natural process. Well, I've, I've got a new dream job now. <laughs> At all. I need I need one of the applications to be on the cigar panel. That's a new dream job. I don't know where you start to get in that. If you have to start out sweeping the floors at the factory, how fast can you paddle a, a kayak? Okay, I'm pretty good at that. I can I can move along. It's it's a fun process though, and but but to me that's one of the things that uh, were the most impressive, and that people don't actually and and look there may be other factories that do the same thing or a similar thing. Um, but to me, it's impressive when you've got a company like La Aurora, which is now over 115 years old, and they're still not only just evaluating the stuff that's going to come out, but they're also taking the time to evaluate what they're currently doing. Because if something falls off, it could kill a line. You want to know it ahead of time. You want to know it ahead of time. And at La Aurora, we know at any given point in the process, we know where a step could have been missed based on systems and practices that we have inside the factory. And it was something that we were talking about before we started recording, but you were talking about the with the Miranda special selection mm -hmm. about how just Mother Nature and oh, how yeah. much that influences production from one year to the next, or what was it, six years it took yeah, off? Yeah, six years off the market, yeah. I had somebody at the trade show come up to me with this, like, I gotcha kind of look on their face, like, this isn't the same blend. You can't convince me it's the same blend. I'm like, well, other than dragging you to Esteli and sitting down with Pepin, I don't know what I can do. To <laughs> but I assure you it's the same blend. But it does smoke completely differently because the weather was drier during the times of production for these new, the new iteration of this cigar. And dry weather with tobacco, just like dry weather with grapes, if, you, if you're drinking, you look at a vintage year on a wine, a lot of people, you know, they don't understand that if you have a wet year, then you're going to get big, lush grapes with a lot of fluid and very little flavor. Right. The same is true with tobacco. If you have a dry season in tobacco, you're going to have smaller, stronger leaves that are full of flavor, but there's less of them. So, yeah, it may drive the price up a little bit, but it's more bang for your buck, more punch. We were blessed with the fact that that was a situation that we dealt with when uh, special selection was being produced. And yes, it is undoubtedly a stronger smoking experience. It is more intense, more spice, rich, dark, Nicaraguan oomph. And uh, at the same, you know, it's the same blend. There's no gotcha. It's called nature. Right. It's just part of it. Just like, you know, look, you can go back. A lot of times people are guilty of going back to a cigar that they knew maybe 15 years ago and saying, yeah, well, they totally changed the blend on that. 
In some cases they may have, but in some cases they probably didn't. You're tasting the best equivalent to the original blend that they can produce based on nature. Yeah. You're literally smoking the ground. You're tasting the ground in any cigar that you smoke. You're tasting the nutrients in the soil. Right. There is no way around that. There's just no way. It's like when you, you know, the old, when you were in elementary school and would take carnations, white carnations, put them in a vase and put like food coloring down in the water. You had a purple carnation all of a sudden. It's the same thing. Whatever is in the nutrients in the soil is going to be the product of that plant. Yeah. So, yeah, and, and creating cigars consistently because they are an agricultural product is one of the big challenges. That, that's why we have master blenders. Mm-hmm. That's why the master blenders have so much knowledge because they have to they have to adjust year to year, mm-hmm. and all you've got the basic blend book, but you still have a lot of differences that you have to account for. Yeah, we've got a lot. We've got a lot of uh, I call I call them Monday morning blenders uh, here in the United States that, <laughs> that don't understand um, and well meaning. I'm I'm thankful that they care. To be I'm thankful that they are really passionate about tobacco, but at the end of the day, the guys down there are the smartest. Yeah, and they, I think we're guilty no of that it. occasionally. We'll pick up a cigar based on what it says on the mm-hmm. on the product sheet and go, okay, well, I'm going to like this, or I'm not, because I know I know that I like Connecticut Broadleaf, and I know that I like Cameroon, and, you know, but that doesn't tell the whole story. It doesn't tell the whole story, but at the same time, I mean, I know you guys, just personally speaking, it's one of those where there there's... There's no ego there. Right, yeah. You know? Yeah, there, there is a difference in that regard, yeah. absolutely. But but one thing for certain, and make no mistake about it, I'm thankful for uh, passionate, engaged, talkative American cigar smokers. Yeah. Uh, because if you want an opinion, they'll give you one. And to be honest with you, we have a program um, at Miami Cigar that we solicit those opinions. Like one of the things that we do with retailers uh, we just started it this year. One of the things I put together uh, was what I call the Dominican Cigar Experience. And you may have seen some posts on mm-hmm. Instagram about that, where we actually bring a select group of retailers only, owner, manager, to the factory. We give them the tour and all that, but there's a lot that happens inside that program as well, where we get from them as much as we give, where we want to know how we're doing on current releases on current product what could be better what can be changed talk to us about the flavor of the cigar talk to us about the packaging of the cigar talk to us about your experience at retail so because a lot of these you know a lot of the guys in the dr they're working so hard in the dr they're not going to come to the united states and and see the where the rubber meets the road uh, but this is how we actually solicit those opinions so anytime somebody anytime somebody comes to me with a positive or a negative or a whatever my response is always the same and it's thank you yeah because if if you only get the positive, you don't know what to do. You don't you don't know where to go. But if you get the negatives, to me a negative or or the word you know like when I was in sales, like nothing made me more excited than the word no. Right. When a retailer told me no, it told me okay, I've got to improve what I'm doing because deep down, you know, I know I'm right. <laughs> so, so deep down, I had to figure out what I needed to do to meet the needs of that retailer and still meet the needs of my company. And, but, it, but one of the integral parts of that equation is the listening aspect. And whether it be on a sales professional to the retail owner or a manufacturer to a retail owner, we have to constantly listen. Mm. We, we can't come in with preconceived notions about anything. And a ma- you know, it, it never fails. We do one of these trips. We go down. We get these guys together. We're having a ball. We get the rum flowing, and then somebody says something spectacular. It never fails. And we come back. You know, Jason and I come back from the trip, and it's, wow. Okay, we have some direction here. This is a really good opportunity. So anytime I've ever heard a, a po- you know, positives are great. Love positives. Yay us. But even when we hear a negative or a neutral, to me, that's never a discouraging thing. It's always one of those where it's an opportunity for excellence, and and that's exciting to me. That's excellent. So the other thing that I'm excited, La Aurora, we touched on it with Adrian, the Cazador, mm-hmm. the Cazadores. When are they those going to start showing up? I've not started seeing those show up on Facebook and in the shops. They're available. It's a matter of retailers bringing them in, and it's a very interesting niche market uh, at a very low price point. Quality Connecticut cigar at around four dollars retail. 
It's long, hard to beat. Long fill are handmade. It doesn't meet the needs of some retailers. Uh, but the word just has to, the word has to get out and, and people have to request that cigar. It's one, to be quite honest with you, that it came out in a blip and then we went to the next project. But it's available now. So as soon as, as soon as somebody wants it, yeah, we ship them. They're good to go. That's excellent. And well, it's a very good cigar. I, mean, I haven't had one yet. I'm very excited to have to be, one. It, to be honest with you, it reminds me of the old school Connecticut's that you got uh, back in the day that had a nice free draw and just smoldered. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's just like buttered toast. To me, I don't know. I've got a, I, I smoke cigars of all different stripes and palettes and colors and all that. Um, but I will never look down my nose at a good Connecticut. Oh, yeah. And, and you, know, you know, you get sometimes the guys go, what do you mean you smoke Connecticut? They don't taste like anything. I'm like, you're smoking the wrong Connecticut's. Right. <laughs> because there are some really good ones out there. We make some really good ones, and we are not the only ones making some really good ones. Uh, so you just have to get out and try it. Awesome. Well, Nate, we have taken up so much of your time, but you're I really fine. appreciate you sitting down and talk with us. Um, next time you're in town, we definitely want to want to you know Absolutely. continue to, to chat with you. But thank you so much for for sitting down with us it tonight. It is always my pleasure. It gave me a good opportunity to sit down and smoke a cigar. There you go. I'm sure you don't get to do that very much. <laughs> <laughs> Way more than I want to admit. <laughs> Thanks, Nate. But thank you again. All right. Well, real quick before we wrap it up this week, uh, tell me a little bit about your cigar. You were predicting that it would be very highly rated. Yeah, this is a six all day long. Really? This is a six beyond a shadow of a doubt all day long. Um, Do you think I would rate it a six as well? I think you would. I actually think it has the portions of the Liga that you like, but without the parts of it you don't like. Okay. So it really kind of has that good feel is to it, a, it. Is it based on the regular Undercrown or the Shade? It's based on the regular Undercrown. Okay. It's not the which Shade. I, it's the I darker like. tobacco. Yeah. And all, and it's kind of the, it's the perfect in between between the regular Undercrown and moving up to the Liga. Okay. And you know, I bought a box of them. Box of ten was like a hundred and ten dollars. So you're about eleven bucks a smoke into it, which Not is bad. great. Yeah. So yeah, I really appreciate. Really think this is a solid six. What do you think of the Leaper's Fork? Um, I would say it's a five, but I'm gonna drop it down to maybe like a four point seven five, just based on ready, ready availability. There is an element to that, that it's only available in one location at one time. And unless yeah. you're planning a trip to, you, you probably wouldn't travel from Nicaragua to, you know, Leaper's Fork, Tennessee right. for that cigar. Yeah. But if it weren't for that, if this were a cigar that were on the shelf and readily available, I'd absolutely rate this a five. What would that cost wise price? What would you pay for that cigar? Uh, it's about an $11 cigar. I think it's an $11 smoke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had my, the one I smoked, I had it about at a nine. Yeah. I, I would rather, I, I think it would be a great 8 or $9 cigar. I think it would be an acceptable 11 or $12 cigar. But I think anything above that, and you're not getting what you're paying for, anything less than that is just gravy. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening this week. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. Mm-hmm.